Hello, Detroit and the world. Welcome to another episode of Authentically Detroit, broadcasting live from the Audio Wave Network studios here in Detroit, powered by the Eastside Community Network and sponsored by the Ford Foundation, now a content partner to BridgeDetroit.com. I'm Orlando Bailey. And I'm Donna Givens-Davidson. Thank y'all for listening in and supporting our efforts to build a platform of authentic voices for real people on the east side of Detroit. We want you to like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast on all platforms. We drop a new episode every week, so be sure to turn on those notifications. Joining us today is attorney Todd Perkins. He is principal and partner at the Perkins Law Group and is the primary funder of the People's Voice, who is the main proponent behind Proposal S, of which you will find on your November 2nd ballot. Todd, welcome to Authentically Detroit. Well, thank you for having me. It's great to be uh, part of uh, an organization that is really trying to educate and, uh, you know, educate and, and within the education, entertain. Uh, your audience with education. So, um, you know, I almost feel like I'm on PBS. <laughs> Edutainment is what we're going after, I guess. Oh. I didn't know we were entertaining, Donna. Uh, I guess we are. You huh? know, we, I, no. I try to be funny when I can. <laughs> sometimes Orlando tells me I sometimes go a little bit for a laugh. Maybe I shouldn't, my bad. No, but, go for the laughs. I'm always looking for a laugh, man. I am. <laughs> uh, before we get started, because we have a lot of questions for you, uh, Todd. How's everybody doing? How's this day finding everybody? Todd, how are you? Huh, you know, I guess we'll wait and get into that, but I mean, it was, it was a day, you know, um, I'm doing this week without the help of my wife who's traveling for work. And so I got two kids and they both play sports. Um, and I, you know, fortunately today, uh, um, so, you know, it was a little more relaxed tomorrow. I'm going to have the ears sent back and you know, ready for that. But after I do this, I'm going to, um, I'm going to also do the black slate later tonight. Mm. See, um, so I, uh, and in the meantime, I'm going to have to find a way to cook dinner. <laughs> Good luck with all of that. <laughs> you know, technically, typically I want to look like you guys look, but this, you can tell, I just, I had to, you know, something cool my heels yet. You know, I know, man. I mean, we're relaxed. Off. You you suited and booted with I the know, bow tie, right? everything. Would, we chilling over here. I only wish you were here so we could get a picture with you. I so know. You're gonna have to come back so you can be suited and booted with us. So I we know. Can capture you on in, in, in a photo. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, let me ask you a question. When your wife is in town, which of those tasks do you normally perform? <laughs> I'm asking this on behalf it's of all trap, women. It's a trap, Todd. It's a trap, man. It's a trap. <laughs> <laughs> He's shaking his head. Uh, you know, because listen, I'm. You know, women, we are underappreciated, right? You better say it. Hats oh, no. off to the mothers in this world, and this has been a. That's really- not. There's no underappreciation here. <laughs> I know. I know what I don't contribute and what I do contribute. Yeah. You know, like this tree outside that fell, and I still have not gotten to it. I have not contributed there. So <laughs> you know, that's that's one of the areas I'm going to try to do that before she gets back so that it'll be gone. Um, but, you know, I do clean the dishes. Um, I do cook. Okay. I, I fancy myself a, a better cook than my wife. You know, oh. I have a restaurant over in Highland Park. Oh, okay. And, What's the name of the restaurant? Um, you remember, see, you guys are a little young, but remember the Miley <laughs> and Miley Shrimp Shack? Say it again. The Miley and Miley Shrimp Shack? Yes. The Shrimp Shack. Yes. One of right. us is a lot younger than the other, but yes, I remember Miley and Miley in Highland Park. Yeah. So we took that over at Woodward and Davidson, 
And now it's called Lynette's. And we still serve the shrimp, but we serve fried chicken, fish, and um, barbecue and barbecue wings, but then we have sides. That's you know, amazing. Well, I'm going so, to have to come through there. Yeah, me too. I'm going to have to come through, especially for that fried yeah. chicken. Yeah. Well, you know, for me, it's the fried shrimp. Yeah. But, um, yeah. You know. Yeah. Listen, we yeah. love our fried shrimp in Detroit, don't we? <laughs> we do. Donettas and now Miley Miley and now what is the name of your new restaurant? Uh, Lynette. Lynette. I love it. Is your wife's name Lynette? No. So that's my first wife who passed away. And um, so that's my kid's mother. And um, so we named it after her middle name. Oh, nice. Oh, that's really, really, really what what an honor. What a way to honor the legacy. Donna. My current wife says, I'm always going to live in the shadow of Lynette. Oh, my no. gosh. Well, we're we, we not getting into that. No, we're not no, stepping no, no, into no. that at all. Donna, how you doing? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's 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 been a difficult past few days for me. My yeah. mother is hospitalized at a time where um, you cannot visit people in the ER. Yeah. And the hospital is so full, she cannot get a room. She is 88 years full old. Because of what? COVID patients? Um, because of COVID patients. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's um, exploded the hospital you know, um, occupancy all over the nation. And so they can still treat people. They still admitted her, although they did consider sending her home. And I was like, no way. She can't um, mm-hmm. take care of herself. But she's been in the ER since Sunday. And um, apparently people are just languishing there. There are no telephones in the emergency rooms. Right. They don't have private nurses and they don't allow you to visit. So my 88 year old mother is by herself. And I Mm. want people to think about the social policy here. And the reason why it's even more difficult is because hospitals have been required to cut their staffs to the bone. So the clerks that used to sit at the desk and Mm, answer calls and field um, inquiries do not exist. And our nurses are working overtime and I'm having to learn to um, give grace to the people who are actually providing the care, understanding they're not responsible for these shortages and they're doing the best they can. And if it's hard for me, it's super hard for people who are trying to provide care and balance all of this, but it's been very hard for me and for my family. And I um, have learned that all I can do is pray so um, pray and then try to seek out friends and family who work in the hospital. We have a family friend who um, is a doctor at receiving and who has provided the amount of care that he can, understanding he is also very busy. Yeah. Well, you have a community here at Eastside Community Network, but an authentically Detroit community who will send you tons of good vibes um, and prayers your way as well as to your mom and to the rest of your family. I can't imagine how hard, how hard that must be at this time. It really is. um, It really is difficult to hear. It's even difficult to hear. So I can't imagine having to live it. Yeah. Yeah. You, you were a trooper showing up to work and this podcast still working on behalf and for the people that you serve. So hats off to you. Something about the, that, that, that strength that black women just carry with them. I don't know how she's doing it, but for our feature discussion this week, we are talking to uh, Todd Perkins about proposal S and we had Denzel McCampbell on the podcast last week and he began to sort of begin to educate us about proposal S and what it is and some of the language that's on the ballot. But we have uh, 
Attorney Todd Perkins here with us, who is the reason why Proposal S is on the ballot. And for those listeners who already have their absentee ballots and wondering what it is, don't worry, fret not, because we're getting ready to get into exactly what Proposal S is. So, Counselor, tell us about Proposal S. What exactly is it, first off? (laughs) Okay, Proposal S, you know, something I was trying to pull it up, but Proposal S stands for, you know, there's a Cranes article that came out this week. And, you know, the the mayor's office or the administration in the city of Detroit has really come against it. They've described it as bad public policy. What a Proposal S says, you know, what's confusing about it is as you read it, they're saying, you know, it sounds as if it's restricting voter power but it's actually enhancing and increasing voter power. And what it does is that essentially it is removing a current restriction in the charter that disallows um, uh, citizens for creating, creating legislation or ordinances uh, for the appropriation of money only for the city of Detroit. And it's not going to, it's not to affect the budget. It's not going to, you know, a lot of times, you know, I was a big I was the lawyer for the election com- or for the charter commission and fought for proposal P, which ultimately won. But it all, it, it's not to listen to that boogeyman that you hear from, from um, the administration that it's going to bankrupt the city and different things like that. The cities can't by state law, cities can't run a deficit. Um, you know, so um, at the end of the day, this is what people need to understand though is that where it is missing in Proposal S is what Proposal R was initially constructed to be. So so can you talk I a little bit about the Proposal R and the relationship yeah, that yeah. it's supposed to have with S? Yeah, and, and, and I'll go back, and, you know, I know that you are, are limited in time, but, you know, because we could talk hours, I can talk hours about Proposal S and Proposal R and reparations and the energy and, the vibrance that comes and it's empowering just to talk about the conversation of reparations being a reality for black people. Oh my God. Uh, every other, uh, um, um, ethnicity or race who has been disenfranchised by this country has received some form of reparation, but yet not African American. So let me go back, back in maybe April of this year. I don't know if you know, Keith Williams, he's the chairperson mm-hmm. for the, Democratic, black, yeah, yeah, Democratic, Democratic Party, caucus. Black, yeah. black Caucus. And so he and Alexis Ramsey, one of his vice chairs, they um, they came to me and they said, hey, reparations could be a reality. And it was uh, because they explained the story of Evanston, Illinois, where it's mm-hmm. actually been voted in and it's actually working. Um, and I didn't know about this. You know how we go about living our lives. You all are, I would say that you're in the sphere of media and it's part of your job to know those things. I'm just a lawyer. You know, I'm just working in, you know, I'm just case by case. I get into this whole blinders on and you're fighting this case and you come home and you try to feed your family and and help your family with the homework. That's my world. So when he told me that I became, oh my goodness, it was just like I got a new toy and I don't want to minimize reparations to be a new toy. So we took, our firm took the idea and we looked at, the first thing you want to do is look at the charter or look at a constitution, which is essentially for cities, it's a charter. Mm-hmm. Um, on the state level, it's a constitution. On the federal level, it's a constitution. 
So we look at the charter to see how we can create a construct that reparations could be placed on the ballot for a voter, voter inspired, a voter fueled idea of reparations, meaning that voters would be able to put this into play and force the elected officials to follow their plan, right? Ultimately, it's going to be the elected officials who, who spend the money, who allocate the money, but it's based upon the, 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 con- the design of these, this vote. So we realize that in order to have citizens create a reparations fund that would be funded and um, who would appoint the, the people to that fund, would be, the design that we have would be city council. And you'd rather have city council than the mayor because, you know, when you have nine, you know, when you have multiple number of people versus um, just one person, I think you're always going to get a better outcome. It's just like having a jury versus a judge try your case. You're going to get a better design. So we, we had to recognize in the, in the city charter, it has a restriction. It says in section 12101, it says that it prevents citizens from creating ordinances or what I would say legislation or law mm-hmm. um, that cause for the appropriation of money. So we knew we had to take that out. We also hmm. wanted to create a proposal that created a reparations fund that was designed for a specific purpose. And um, if I can pull it up, just one moment. Let me see if I can pull this up. Um we're live on the podcast. Uh, okay, so I, while you're while going. you're doing that, I'm yeah. going to I'm just going to comment on a couple things. Go ahead, um, Go last ahead. week, when I was working on my absentee ballot, I got through all of the proposals, and then I just happened to check the other side. Now, there was an insert in the absentee ballot mailing that said, "Check both sides." I checked the other side, and I read it, and then I read it again, and then I read it again. And then I Googled it. There's no website. There's no place online to capture this information. I would advise somebody to put it somewhere online with an explanation because I actually had a very long Facebook post about this. Um, Prior to us interviewing Denzel McCampbell, my Facebook post was, I don't know what this, what I'm supposed to do. Since I don't know what the city charter currently provides for, I don't know whether by supporting this, I am taking away voters' rights to influence the budget, or by denying it, I'm denying an opportunity. So I actually let that sit on my desk, and then I asked Denzel. He said that he was very familiar with the city charter as a former Mm -hmm. charter revision commissioner. He didn't understand it. So after a lot of research, I began to understand. I think Chase Cantrell sent me an article that was um, posted in one news site covering the fact that this had been allowed, and um, it became clear to me. So then I started in my own Facebook universe trying to educate people, and I have another colleague who is a, a, a professional journalist. I'm not a professional journalist. I'm a citizen journalist. Orlando is the professional journalist. I'm just an opinionated black woman on the east side of Detroit who likes to talk. But, <laughs> but one of our professional journalist friends reached out, and he said, listen, don't sign this. They're taking away our rights. 
And I had to correct him. And then we had a county commissioner jump in there. A and professional make, journalist uh, that was not a Orlando Bailey. journalist who was not Orlando okay. Bailey, who does sure. not make these types of statements, <laughs> uh, sweeping statements. But another professional journalist said that. Okay. And then a county commissioner said, this has nothing to do with reparations. So I'm having to fact check people. And I'm working overtime trying to make sure that those colleagues who, like me, want to see um, real fundamental change in government have an opportunity to vote for it. And the other thing, final thing I want to say about the bankruptcy issue is I find it really ironic that in this city where the city contributed about $200 million of resources plus to build out the, the Fiat Chrysler Stellantis plant is saying that this initiative will bankrupt the city. Um, this, the city spending is always a matter of prioritizing how you use the general fund dollars and how you use certain grant dollars. So I, I think that by giving citizens power, what it does is it controls the mayor. Like you said, you can't spend into a deficit, which means that the mayor is going to be limited and controlled in what he can do. So I'm excited by that. But I think explaining that to residents and explaining that to voters now through a website or some other push where people can google it and find that information is important uh attorney perkins tell us why or what you're doing to get the word out about proposal s we haven't seen a website we don't know we you know it's really hard to find information about it what's going on okay so what we have is we have a a website it's a time to repair uh dot com it, it should be out sometime this week we were connecting it with also an ability for people to make donations, which was slowed it up because we recognize this is, this is not just a fight. Right now we're in proposal F and proposal R, but we intend to take this idea to other urban environments and create a, a momentous effect uh, as we move towards a federal um, um, vote on reparations. But right now we've decided that's the whole spirit of how we've approached this. So right now, with this, we're time to repair and we'll have links to a lot of the different media stories, which uh, some of the uh, cranes put out an article uh, by Annalise Frank, and yeah. it really gives a good idea about what it's about, who's against it, who's for it. And then there's also some uh, information that uh, Denzel's in there said some great things about it. Um, but then... Um, you also have uh, another lawyer from, you know, from one of these silk stocking firms. He says, look, there's also some issues that legally that might have to be worked out down the road. So, you know, that is, it really laid it out. That's the most recent article, but there's several different other pieces that are attached to the link. And we have um, a um, sort of a story about what we're about, why we got involved in it, what, you know, how it's empowering just the idea of, of thinking about reparations, how, how powerful it is for us, um, you know, almost just from a celebratory standpoint. So um, um, even before. Yes. I'm sorry. I have a question, though. So if I'm Googling Proposal S, will it take me to the website A Time to re Repair? A Time to Repair right now is in, the, you know, I'm actually looking at, if I could share my screen out, I, I would. I don't know how to do that, but. Um, I, um, w we should be out this week with a time to repair, right? You know, but, it's just, like but, I said, it's just, but, but my question is whether or not I can Google proposal S and have 
a time to repair show up in the selections. So search engine optimization. Search engine, but search engine optimization takes time, doesn't it? And so I'm thinking that if there's a way to create something where you can Google proposal S, which is what's on the ballot and get there without having to know about a time to repair. That might be helpful. Because, because I mean, it's voting has started. I got my ballot um, two weeks ago. Several people did. Um, I voted. My husband has yet to vote. But I think that um, we're in a hurry. And a lot of people are spreading misinformation. I mean, the mayor's office doesn't even have to do much because people are spreading their own information in other Facebook feeds. And so the sooner that you can get something out there that allows people to Google something and see this, it could be a Facebook page called Proposal S, because a lot of times when I Google, I get a Facebook result before I get a web result. Um, it is my strong recommendation that if you're trying to build knowledge about this, that you create something that's more direct, because I agree with the long term benefits of proposal uh, a time to repair. But I think we have a voting issue right now. I, I, I totally agree with you. Um, what I what I would say is that, you know, we're I'm. I'm, you know, I'm not really Facebook savvy and social media savvy. I'd be, I'm growing better and better each day because of this. And I see how connected individuals are and how they share information and becoming part of those loops. Obviously, I haven't gotten into your, your circle of, uh, uh, of influence yet. Um, I think I will, I will be marching in that direction some way, somehow. But again, I, I have been, you know, to say in a word, live it about, you know, our contractors with respect to this website, you know, this is supposed to be two weeks ago. We wanted to, we wanted to launch at the time that we knew ballots were going to be getting to the people's doorsteps, which we did time pretty good. The, um, the, the mailer getting out. Um, we did time that fairly well because I've gotten a lot of feedback, a lot of calls from people who are asking for information. The other thing that um, folks are confused about is, the, the folks folks are confused about uh, the trail of events leading up to this initiative being placed on the ballot. You talked about being embattled in courtrooms and legally being challenged uh, toward preventing this from uh, getting on the ballot. Can you walk us through the trail of events leading up to this initiative actually being placed on the ballot? Yeah, a- a- absolutely. So after we recognized that we had to have two different proposals, one Proposal R was going to be an initiative to create a reparations fund. Today, Proposal R is a task force a, to create a task it's force. It's a task force. It's, but not only that, it's not shall, it's should. In law and in practicality, that's a sizable difference between saying we should do something versus we shall. But mm-hmm. nonetheless, it's a positive step forward. Now, Proposal S, we wound up getting our, we needed 3,608 signatures by June 15th, we got 3,900. They struck 1,200 signatures approximately. And, but after this, which would put us underneath 3,600, but you have a 15 day, uh, you know, uh, grace period, which in that period of time, we went back and got another 3,000, almost 3,000 signatures. So we got the signatures. From that point, the, the measure was sent over to city council. City council then sent it back to the um, the uh, election commission um, election commission 
And ultimately, the election commission voted on this on August 18th. It's my understanding from reading a report that the city council sent this back over on July 16th. So if that's correct, then I'm just finding this out right now. If that's correct, then they voted on August 18th. And when they voted on August 18th, they waited six days to tell me that it wasn't going to be on the ballot. So what means in the election period, because things work so quickly and so fast, that it almost put us in a way that we weren't able to file a lawsuit. And more importantly, when they told us that it wasn't going to be on the ballot, they just simply told us it was, it didn't legally, it was not legally sufficient. So when they say that, that's not enough for us to know how to attack that, that decision. So we had to order the minutes. Then once we ordered the minutes about a day later, maybe two later, two days later, we filed a lawsuit. We filed a lawsuit for a temporary restraining order. We filed a lawsuit for a writ of mandamus, which means that we're asking the court to order a particular uh, section of government to act in a legal manner because it's our position that they are acting in an illegal manner. And so well, ultimately went to court on September 10th, and they, the government tried to claim that that's being the city they tried to claim that we waited too long to bring this suit. And the judge flat out denied. He says, look, you all waited six days to tell him. And even when you told us what was wrong, that it wasn't going to be on the ballot, it still wasn't a legally sufficient tell. It, it, didn't, it didn't give us enough information on how to uh, fight this fight. So you can't use that as a defense. That's what they tried to first defend. Secondly, and this is, this is ongoing now. We are actually today should be filing a motion for sanctions against Gina Avery Walker at the uh, election commission or works in the clerk's office. She filed an affidavit saying that our petition was one page. And she's the same person that validated the petition, the, validated the signature. What's different about a referendum of legislation, which is what Proposal S started as, is that a referendum of legislation, that kind of petition is different than a candidate petition. If anybody's ever gone out in front of a grocery store and somebody says, I want to run for office, and you sign that, on the bottom of that is a, a certificate of the circulator, mm -hmm. meaning that I did this properly and I did all the things properly. Now, a referendum of legislation has that, but you also are required to have each, each, each circulator have their signature notarized because there's so much on the front it has to go on to the back. And on the back, you have not only the affidavit, but the specific section of the charter that would be affected by this um, uh, proposed legislation. Mm -hmm. So she claimed that it's only one page. Now we have almost 600 sheets. I, because I was in the middle of the creation and the research and actually turned in all the sheets for the organization, I know this is a lie. She said that because if you only have one page, the judge might agree with them that they don't really know how this is supposed to apply or where it's supposed to apply in the charter. But the same person who validated the signatures, which means that she had to not only validate the signatures on the front, but also had to confirm that each sheet had an affidavit, which is on the back. So it's just a lie. And this is the kind of thing the frustrating events that occur when you're fighting these fights and people are playing these tricks and these games. 
And the only way to attack it is to keep on coming at them in court and just not lose the energy that's necessary, you know, to fight, you know, bad people. So why is so, this, why do you, why do you feel like, why, not why do you feel, but why is this measure drawing so much opposition from uh, the administration and the Duggan administration and the clerk's office? Why, why don't they want this to happen? Well, I, I truly believe in one way, shape or form is that people don't want black people to be empowered. I, I you know, I, I just truly believe that. And even black people, you know, a friend of mine, he's the chief judge of the 36th district court, Bill McConaughey. He says, sometimes when black people are faced with real power, they get scared. I'm not scared. You know something? I want all, I want everybody's vote to not only count, I want it to matter, and I want to energize them and draw them to the polls. So I think it's a multiplicity of different things. I think that if you take things like this off the ballot, it kind of dulls somebody's desire to go to the polls, whereas now you're, you know, you're infused with somebody with proposal R, which is right in your face reparations and proposal F, if they understand it, like, uh, like your partner was saying, it's, it's just like, you know that this is something that's going to empower you. But, but here's another thing. Another friend of mine who's very uh, politically astute, a business person, he says, what politician is going to want to have some legislation like that? So even from a more innocuous perspective of not infusing race, but a politician being told by the people how they're going to have to do their job, you know, they're not going to want it. They're not going to want that. So hmm. I think that, you know, no one's come against it directly from like city council. I haven't heard that, but uh, are they lukewarm to the idea? They might be because it still is something that is maybe taking away powers that they think that they should have. Well, and I think that meeting the needs of black people has never been a priority in this nation. Um, you say, now, say that again? Meeting the needs of black people has never been a national priority. Not in no. housing um, legislation, housing policy, um, not in, you know, just even community amenities policy. When our communities started losing white people to the suburbs, disinvestment um, was the thing that happened soon afterwards. And it happened from the federal level, from the state level. And it happened in so many ways. When people judge a city, they judge how austere the city is being governed in relation to the people who occupy a city. When people judge a suburb, they judge the quality of the amenities of the suburbs people are moving into. So we have a different measuring stick. What Proposal P is really speaking to is equality. I'm sorry, Proposal S is speaking to equalizing opportunity and placing a value on the needs of black Detroiters, not new Detroiters, black Detroiters. Because if you look at how we measure neighborhood success, it is how much are home values increasing? How many people are moving into this neighborhood? There is very little attention paid at any level to how well are the people doing in the neighborhoods. Does the city do a survey? Do we look at measures of homelessness, measures of hunger, measures of access to recreation, measures that speak to environmental quality? We had an entire industrial plant built adjacent to a neighborhood, and the city never once addressed the environmental implications of that. Even though a paint factory that exists inside of one of those plants doubles the you know toxic emissions in Detroit and is allowed to do that by offsetting those emissions in a suburb. 
So, yes, it's a matter of no politician wants people to control things. But I think you are absolutely right, Todd, in saying that no politician in Detroit, as it currently is structured, not many politicians, there are some, there are not many politicians who are committed to making financial choices that privilege the needs of black Detroiters over companies, over corporations. And my view is that corporations function as the um, customers of city government and black people in our community function as subjects to our government. This proposal would change that um, and make politicians understand that they had to be accountable in producing legislation that would equalize the role or address community needs or the community would decide for itself and take some of their power away. So I just want to commend you for this um, proposal that I did not understand at all when I first read it. Um, and I want to say, let's get the word out collectively um, on Authentically Detroit and other places, not to tell people to vote for this, but letting people understand the decision they're making to either empower Detroit residents to make decisions on their priorities in terms of spending or to keep the status quo and take it out of our hands. You know, that was fire. I mean, that was really, I, I mean, eloquent and understandable and not caught up with the, the legal mumbo jumbo that I get caught up in. And I, I can appreciate what you said. And I thank you for your support. I thank you for those words. Uh, and I hope that your listening audience is encouraged by what you said and can appreciate what this is about. This is, you know, this is, you know, let me say this much. This has never been done. This has not been done. And, you know, I didn't realize that at the time, you know, you, you walk around and you, you just don't know, but this has never been done. And, and, you know, that's what people don't see how, how groundbreaking this idea is that came to me by, you know, just somebody who, who, who asked for some help in, um, and, and, and creating an opportunity of uh, bringing reparations to the city of Detroit because it's empowering even beyond that. It's just, it's something, I think a shot in the arm that black people need and um, you know, to, con you know, to continue, I think a, an upward trajectory, we, we needed Trump to create and coalesce on, on some platforms, you know, and cause I've always believed truly a, a the real revolution that in this country is the rise of the proletariat. Well, you know, the, you know but 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 we have some reparations in fighting, don't we? Um, you know, Keith Williams came out and he declared that, and I know some folks at the SCLC said, "Wait a minute, this is the mayor's agenda." The mayor's agenda. The amount of mutual mistrust and confusion even within people who are within the radical and progressive communities is pretty concerning to me have you dealt with that do you think any of those um fences are mended i actually had to stop following some of that because i was getting really angry you know at just listening to the counterattacks and the attacks well you know I, I look at it but i also look at and see the if you get our mailer you know my superhero is harriet tubman a absolutely. I mean, Marvel, she, she could beat all the Marvel uh, people because, you know, truly in the spirit of her, you know, a couple of different things come to mind. One, 
you know, you have to kill those people. Not literally, obviously, but the go spirit. for your die. Right. Right. Go make for sure, your die. Make sure you clarify. Yeah, <laughs> make but sure you, you know clarify. what? Harry, Harry was uncompromising, but um, yeah, we don't have that privilege. <laughs> no, we no, not not in that way. But what I'm saying is that same spirit of how she had to be uncompromising. That's how we have to be. Because, you know, what did, she, what did she say? She was giving us some accolade at the end of her life, and they said, wow, Miss Tubman, you saved 100 people from slavery. And she said, look, I would have saved hundreds more if they knew they were slaves. You know, these, it, people are being, these people are being spoon-fed, and, you know, they, they, they're being told what to do because the people who are giving them the spoons and giving them the food, you know, it's just like they're not even teaching them how to, how to get their own food but, anymore. But, but you know so they're what? so reliant. I'm I'm going to I I absolutely hate the way people use that honestly. I think we have to avoid using dehumanizing language to describe each other. Um, people are at different levels of political consciousness. People are different different levels of awareness. And when I start calling you names, I've lost you. Um, I am an optimist, and I believe that most people, if they knew the truth, would follow it. And it's our responsibility, those of us who see it and know it and have lived it, to share it with those who have not been so privileged. I was privileged to be raised by people who have political consciousness. When I was five years old, I was at the dinner table jumping in conversations. If you wonder about why I am the way I am right now, come to a family reunion or come to a family activity. We're all this way, right? That's a blessing. That's a privilege. Everybody didn't have that. Some people learned what they learned in school from their employer and from people who um, st- can communicate things in a way that was unhelpful. And yet some of those people are still doing their best. Slavery was a condition imposed on us. It was not a condition of the mind. It was a condition of dehumanizing um, human beings. And so as much as I hear people say that, and I hear people throwing that around a lot to each other, I said, let's give each other some grace and love so that people are drawn to um, support the causes that we believe in and don't feel as though if they don't show up the right way initially, they're no longer welcome. Has, well, no, has, I, don't, I, don't, I don't look at it that way. I mean, here's how I look at it. I, I You know, it's more of a, if I, you know, to catch people's ear, it's almost like when I'm in court. I know that I only have a couple of seconds to catch people's ideas and, and their mentality. You know, not to call people, um, it's more of a, um, I'm not calling people slaves, but at the same time, I don't believe that slavery's ever really ended. I think it's transformed and transmuted itself into what it is today. And it's so insidious because you don't see it. It's almost like high blood pressure being the silent killer. You know, it's, it's the thing is, it's, it's the killer of dreams for black people, I think, because we're never able to realize and go beyond certain things because we don't coalesce that infighting that you're talking about, right? That you see on the internet and you seem to be more connected with it than I am because, you know, I'm just going ahead and boom, boom, boom. I'm doing what I need to do. And I, I'm not as connected as unfortunately as you are with you seeing this infighting, but you know, we can't get along and figure out and, and, and coalesce on one issue and reparations couldn't be that issue. I have to hear about reparations being called a handout and I don't want no handout and things like that. When you do, you're missing the point. 
Right. And that's what I'm saying. And that's why I'm saying that's where education comes in. Because my guess is that you are a historically astute person who understands policy and a lot of people don't. And they hear what they are brainwashed to believe in the news media. You cannot convince me that people who are, um, you know, working for a living and maintaining their families and have sovereignty over their bodies and their homes as, as such as they are, are people equivalent to people who were enslaved. And I also think that when in, in our in our nation we want to bury the n-word i want to bury the slave word as a descriptor of black people we don't call trump followers slaves even though they're idiots we don't call people i mean no offense we don't call people who are taking ivermectin slaves i'm not calling my own people slaves because they are misguided and that's all i'm saying and i believe when we do so we end up alienating many people that we're going to need to win these legal battles, to win these political battles, because either you show up correctly. Um, what what happened to community education? You know, there was a time when even when the Panthers were out there in the streets educating the community, saying this is what's going on and we need you to know and sign up. And if somebody showed up the wrong way, they reeducated them with love, right? And with embracing them, they fed their children. We need to do more of that, in my opinion, if we're going to grow the kind of support that we need and to engage people politically in a fight. So in a courtroom, you're dealing, you have a different battle, right? It's one side versus the other side. You're going to get one of two pleas. But in the streets, you have people who line up across a continuum of knowledge. And I hope we can get you to join in the effort to educate our community around repairing history, which means we're going to have to go into policy, go into history and let people know how government works so they can fight back against the conditioning and the brainwashing that's going on by our government. I think it's imperative, Donna. I think it's imperative that we uh, do our best not to minimalize and, and institutionalize uh institutionalized policy that has been founded, you know, with this country that's threaded throughout the DNA of this country to transactions um, with each other and with people. This is this isn't just a Detroit thing. This is a fight that is happening, I think, all across the diaspora. And if we keep that big picture in mind that we're not fighting against ourselves or against people, we are fighting policy. We are fighting institutions. I think it would limit some of the the, dis- the disparagement that we encounter um, here on the ground sometimes in terms of, the, you know, the infighting and the name calling that you're talking about. I want to ask you, uh, Todd, this question. Uh, uh, I got it. I got that hard stop. It's coming up on six. All right. Yeah, we I, both go, go ahead. I, I, I'll take the question. My, my, my last question is, uh, in regard is in regarding to uh, support specifically from uh, city council president pro tem Mary Sheffield, has she come out and expressed support for this proposal? She, uh, Madam pro tem called me to do a press conference in June and we were supposed to do a press conference. It got rained out and I haven't heard from her since. So I, she's not come out against it, but I, I don't see any statements in which she's supporting it, but she, you know, but I'm supporting proposal R. I'm supporting her. So, right. you know, and it's kind of like what, what we're saying. I, I, just because if you don't support mine doesn't mean I can't support yours because I, I look at momentum and I'm, I'm seeking the positive aspects of any, you know, success on either, definitely on both is what, what, what is needed, but on either is, is positive. 
Yeah, I I appreciate that. And listen, we really want to work with you to get the word out and to really talk about this whole reparations um, uh, menu of ideas that you have. I do have one final question, one closing question, Mm -hmm. kind of tongue in cheek. Where does Horace Sheffield stand? I don't know. I I don't know. I, 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 you know, the way he stood on proposal S, I I mean, proposal P, I'm still disheartened. um, You know, I don't know. You know, because I look at them as similar because there's social welfare considerations that are in, that are infused in them. And, you know, to say, and, and, you know, because I think here's my thought, your, your, your vote and your allegiance was bought for proposal P, but I haven't heard anything about it. You know, I haven't heard anything about anyone except sort of the grassroots individuals. And right now I'm going to the black slate right now to talk to them about uh, proposal S you know, to educate them, to get on their, their literature and things like that. So, um, but I have not heard. All right. All right. Well, attorney Todd Perkins, principal and partner at the Perkins Law Group and is the primary funder of the People's Voice, the main proponent behind Proposal S. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank on you. Authentic Keep on Legal doing Journal. it and call me anytime. I'll be glad to come back. Okay. I, absolutely. So and if you have topics that you want discussed on Authentically Detroit, you can hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or you can email us at authenticallydetroit at gmail.com. All right. It's time to close. Uh, another announcement. or the same announcement from last week, but we want to continue to tell you guys about it. Authentically Detroit will be celebrating 100 episodes by hosting an in real life District 4 City Council candidate debate between Letitia Johnson and ML Elric at Eastside Community Network uh, on October the 14th at 6 p.m. You'll be able to stream us live in partnership with Bridge Detroit. So be sure to tell a friend. We're also securing additional media partners, including Detroit Public Television. I'm trying to get a camera here from DPTV so we can also be on the the public uh, television station as oh, well. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and just a little note, at the Stoudemire the Wellness Stoudemire Hub. Inside of the ECN headquarters. Yes. I got to get used to that. The Stoudemire Wellness Hub located at 4401 uh, Connor. So there will be a small in-person audience, invite only, uh, but a much uh, a broader and bigger audience online. So be sure to tell a friend a flyer is forthcoming. Donna, do you have any more announcements? No, I just want to thank you. Um, and everybody else has been very supportive of me um, this past week. And um, just really looking forward to our debate. All right. That's going to be fun and authentically Detroit. I can promise you that. All right. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We want you to catch the wave. Ah!